Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. We are inching closer and closer to the landmark episode 200. But before we get there, we got 199 on deck for you today. And as you can see from the episode title and description, it is Trackhouse Racing's Darian Grubb, who's our guest this week. Great conversation with the Virginia Tech Hokie. Had it a couple weeks ago as the director of performance for Trackhouse. Going to ask him what that means and what his day-to-day really entails. And he has a ton of stories from his day back in motorsports. So we're going to get into all of that and more. Plus, we're going to chit-chat about Daytona for a little bit. A playoff preview is here because the playoffs and the postseason is upon us before we head to the track too tough to tame. But before that, let's pay homage to the number 99 with Papa Siegel. What the heck have you got cooked up for us this week, Dad? Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 199. Last time around, we highlighted the two drivers you probably most associate with the 99 car, Carl Edwards and Jeff Burton. So, who's left? Good question. I was tempted to venture far astray from our theme and talk about Bob Barker, the former host of The Price is Right, who died this past week at the ripe old age of, you guessed it, 99. Could have done that if for no other reason than to recall his legendary cameo in Happy Gilmore, one of Davy's favorites, But alas, I couldn't find any connection to racing. Fear not, the Wayback Lens always finds its target. Today, we take a look back at Chargin' Charlie Glotzback. The Chargin' Comet, as he was known, was a prodigious qualifier in his day, and he ran in ARCA, where he was the 1964 Rookie of the Year, as well as the Cup Series during the 60s and early 70s. He ran 124 cup races in all between 1960 and 1992 and tallied four wins, two of those coming in the 99 car. Glotzbach almost won the Daytona 500 in 1969. He was leading on the last lap, but was passed for the lead and the win by our subject from last week, Leroy Yarbrough. His most noteworthy win came at Bristol in 1971, where he won a caution-free race at a record pace of over 101 miles an hour. Imagine running a full 500 laps there in two and a half hours. That's a mark that still stands today. Glotzbach also was a speed demon. He attempted to qualify for Indy several times, and held the closed-course land speed record for a time when he drove his Dodge Charger Daytona over 199 at Talladega in 1969. That's all for today. I can't believe we're on the precipice of Mount 200. 
Back to you, dude. I know. I know. I can't believe we're inching closer and closer to 200. But thank you for that wonderful homage to uh, not only Bob Barker, but also Charlie Glotzbeck. Jewish? I don't know. Sounds kind of Jewish. Anyways, uh, let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... And throw it straight over to my interview with Darian Grubb. Again, the crew chief for the Project 91 entry at Trackhouse Racing and the director of performance. What does that mean? What do his duties entail? He will explain all of that to us here in depth. Plus, Trackhouse, it is different. We know that we have seen that Justin Marks has not been afraid to buck the trend. And just because it's been done a certain way in the past doesn't mean that it should be that way moving forward. What attracted Darian to track house racing and what makes this different from all the other stops along the way that he's had? And he has had a bunch of them at big name teams with big name organizations. Hendrick, Stuart Haas, Gibbs, Ganassi, and now track house. What has he learned at all those different stops along the way and all the drivers that he's worked with? Hall of Famers, Tony Stewart, Denny Hamlin, Casey Kane. Jimmy Johnson, just to name a few. Is there a commonality between all those drivers? He'll give you the answer there. Plus, the 2011 championship season with Tony Stewart at SHR. If you guys remember back, Tony won the championship, but not before he and Darian announced that Darian would be leaving the team at the end of the year. What the heck was going on there, and how did they kind of keep that all compartmentalized and deliver on the trophy and bring it home at the end of the season? He will run us back through that crazy year and those crazy times and so much more. Covered a lot of ground, but we left a lot on the cutting room floor too. So I will get out of the way and let you hear my conversation with Trackhouse Racing's Darian Grubb. Pleasure to welcome onto the show this week, Director of Performance for Trackhouse Racing. And of course, he helps head up the Project 91 program and a winner this season in the NASCAR Cup Series, a proud Hokie. Darian Grubb. Good morning, my friend. How are we doing today? Good morning. It's been a great day. We're getting ready for the, the playoff run here, trying to get everything uh, rolling. That's right. So this is going to air after the playoffs, but behind baseball, inside baseball, behind the scenes, we're recording this before Daytona. So I assume it's all hands on deck, everybody pushing the ball in the same direction, and that ball is going to be the 99 car to the front, making sure Daniel can get into the playoffs. That's right. We're trying to do everything we do to let Daniel have a great run at Daytona. And of course, we want both of our cars working together and the Chevy group as a whole to, to be strong. So that's the key to performance on the speedways. And hopefully we can make that happen. So we know for sure, hopefully you'll have two, but we, we know for sure Trackhouse will have one car, the one car in the playoffs, obviously. What has preparation been like since you guys won that race at Nashville to make sure that everything's buttoned up, not just for the first round, but hopefully the second, third, and maybe even if you can get to Phoenix again, when did preparation start and how has it been? It's really a year-long process. We've been digging pretty hard uh, all along of what we thought we had limitations last year, things we need to get better all the way along uh, with our GM simulation tools, what we do in the simulator, and, and all the other work we do with the wind tunnel, the KNC program, tire testing. It's kind of getting all the bits and pieces for every program just a little bit stronger. And as soon as they were able to pull off that win there in Nashville, you knew they were locked in. Then they can start putting a little bit more focus on Darlington in that first round of the playoffs to make sure they can go through. But 
one thing we're disappointed about is we, we missed out quite a bit on some stage wins and some more points we need to be racking up to help make the playoffs easier. So you can never lose sight of current performance. We feel like we've been a little weak lately. We need to get things a little stronger overall to make a deep run in the playoffs. I'm sure your job and your job title, Director of Performance, has a lot to do with that, just tying up the odds and the ends and making sure that the performance is directed in the right way. So I, I know you obviously had that title at Ganassi before they kind of morphed into Trackhouse, but what does your day-to-day look like? I know you said you're in a lot of meetings and you're you're helping the race team get as good as it possibly can be, but Director of Performance, I feel like, is a bit of a new term for race teams. So you tell me, what's your day-to-day look like? It really is a kind of a new way to do things, and it's more or less firefighter. No matter what the issue is of the week and what's going on, whether it be pit crew performance, uh, the driver performance, data that's coming in, everything that we can see, we need to be able to maximize our potential of getting the best out of that data. And the group of the performers, I would say, whether it be engineers, pit crew performers, mechanics in the shop, it's all about efficiency and making sure you get everything done correctly and quickly to, to be able to manage this schedule. When you got this many races in a row, there's never a downtime. So it really becomes almost a seven day a week, uh, just a push. You're always fighting for what the next guy comes in the door and what he asks for. So no matter what department it is, uh, we're working together with Chevrolet as a group. The GM Tech Center here in Concord has been a big help having all those people more local. So I coordinate a lot of efforts between all of our groups and and that uh, group there amongst our other key partner teams as well. Just came off a meeting with Chad Canales and Eric Kamenik from Hendrick and RCR. And we we try to pull those resources together to bring the Chevrolet group as a whole forward. But then, of course, then as soon as you get off that meeting, you're right back 100 percent in the track house and try to make track house better. Speaking of track house and we mentioned Ganassi, right? You, You had this title at Ganassi. When then it got morphed into Trackhouse, you kind of got morphed in with the new race team as well. But I'm sure you had offers and the opportunity to go elsewhere, spread your wings, try something else. What attracted you to what Trackhouse is doing and what Justin is doing with this organization that you wanted to stay here at the race shop and continue in your role and try to build something from the ground up like this? Yeah, it's really been great. It was honestly just conversations directly with Justin Marks and Ty Norris and Tony Lunders and having those conversations about what we wanted to create with the atmosphere here at Trackhouse Racing, how we wanted to operate, the goals we had, and how we planned to achieve it. And it's kind of hard to not be excited about something new like that. And seeing that passion and the, the story that Justin has brought in, the different way to do things, different marketing approach in almost every aspect, things like the Project 91, it's just an idea that he came up with and it's been just a blast to be able to come in here, help build up the teams from scratch. Uh, we took a lot of the employees originally from Chip Ganassi Racing and, and kept a lot of those people, but it gave us opportunity for a reset as well. We brought in new talent and new ideas in a lot of areas. So those things, it's just, it's fun to be a part of. I, I was able to do that earlier in my career uh, with Stuart Haas Racing and some of the other areas that I've been. And it's, it's always a fun building process. You feel like you're starting from scratch and you can go from there and you can kind of turn it into your own story. It's interesting you, you mentioned that building process because you've worked for Hendrick, Stuart Haas, CGR, Gibbs, now Trackhouse. And on paper, you look at those teams and those are behemoth teams, right? That is a murderer's row of race teams that have won races, won championships, but when you think about it, you started out at SHR when they were kind of building things up. 
track house right now they're kind of building things up now i know existing infrastructure was there at both those race teams but you mentioned it you do get satisfaction out of kind of trying to start something from square one and build it up into a championship contender i guess absolutely and, and like when i left uh, hendrick motorsports to go help start Stuart house that was mr hendrick asked me to do that that was a hendrick satellite team at the time putting the chevrolet group over there making that stronger and just being able to bring in all new people uh having engineers that worked for me then followed me around through my career and now work for me now here as well. Things like that, it's something where I take a lot of pride in. When you bring up an engineer straight out of college or even mechanics that are straight off of a, a late model team or something, they come in and you're able to watch their career grow as well. That's when you sit back with the satisfaction. Uh, things like winning at Chicago Street Course with the 91 group and engineers that were there had never been in victory lane in the Cup Series be able to sit there and go, yeah, I, I've worked with this guy now for six years at multiple organizations and, and pat these guys on the back and sit back and watch that. I've been in Victory Lane enough myself. I can sit back off the stage, watch that, and just see the glow around those guys. And that's where the satisfaction comes in. And the, the performance is, is the a benefit of that. Speaking of Chicago, we got to get into that and, and Project 91, of course. So I, I heard an interview, I think it was actually last year when Kimmy was making his first start. And when Justin named you the crew chief, he said that you'd be on the pit box, kind of antsy, tapping your foot, you know, itching back to get to it. Was that true? Were, were you itching to get back atop the war wagon and be a crew chief again? It, it brings back a flood of memories. Uh, that's where it, it is fun, and I enjoy it. And some of the anticipation and the nerves and the butterflies all kind of pop up in that. But I'm, I'm old, so I've been doing this a while, so it is pretty easy to temper those emotions. But then when things do come together and you're coming down to that last pit stop or that last call, whatever you're doing in the race to try to determine your performance, it, it just it gives you that rush of adrenaline again that you kind of miss when you're not that guy that's in that position before. Having Kimi come out in fourth at Coda and having the opportunity for him to have a great finish and then having – Shane at Chicago uh, in contention for the win and watching him pull off that, that amazing run he had. That That's what brings back a lot of the fire. And it, that's why we do this. It, we always say it's kind of crazy to be able to do a hobby as a full-time career. So what we do is not really work. We love coming to work every day. It's a sport. It's entertainment. But then we work really hard at it as well. So it, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of both worlds. It gives you the fun and it gives you the excitement as well on top of it. Amen to that, brother. Uh, so I know you stopped crew chiefing full-time in 2018 after a full year with Willie B, who's obviously doing great things now in the Cup Series. I know he's probably giving you guys fits. Um, but up until, from then up until when you got back atop the World Wagon with Kimmy, that's what, three, four years or so? Were you itching to do it and get back, or was it a situation where circumstances kind of presented themselves? Justin said, hey, Darren, we want you to lead the ship with this 91 car, and you said, Fine, twist my arm a little bit. What what was that process like for you? Yeah, it really was more of the latter. I, I enjoyed uh, still trying to work behind the scenes. I've always been a, kind of one of those guys that likes to work behind the scenes and help all the other people elevate their game. I was still traveling to the racetrack almost every week. I wasn't really sitting at home very much. Uh, I get three or four weekends a year off maybe uh, now with the way things are going. So I try to spend time with my kids and things. They're, they're growing up. They're 11 and 14. I want to spend more time with them. So that was been a, a big part of my motivation for kind of trying to step back a little bit from that role and the stress level. Uh, but the seven-day-a-week job is still there. You still are pushing every week, every day. 
Uh, you still go to the racetrack the majority of the times. So even if you do have an off weekend, you're on your computer and you're on your phone trying right. to keep up with data, going through practice and qualifying and online for the race too. You can't let your guys down uh, for what they rely on you for. So, but time at home with my kids has been important. Being able to be at my daughter's gymnastics and my son's baseball and basketball, those mean the world to me as well. So I try to do as much as I can to balance those loads. But then when Justin comes in and says, hey, I'd like for you to do this, it's kind of a part-time gig. Are you interested? You you just sit there and smile and go, heck yeah, let's do it. Let's have some fun. Race car drivers, you can't totally unplug, can you? It's just not in your blood. Never, never. It's it's one of those things, like it legitimately is a passion. So if you think you're going to disconnect from it, but then you go out and everything you see around you revolves around what you're doing as that passion project of what you're doing so you can't stop thinking about it and it's always there and, and that's what makes it so fun to show up to work every day all right it's svg time so i heard an interview in victory lane when you guys won chicago and you actually knew about him and you knew who he was before because you have a neighbor that actually is involved with supercars i don't know whether they're a driver their family's in it whatever but so you knew about svg when you heard and justin told you that he was going to be your guy for chicago something that was Obviously, totally unprecedented. Nobody had any experience. What'd you think? Uh, it was excitement. Yeah, the Kostecki family, actually, uh, some of that family lives in my okay. neighborhood. So I knew those guys a little bit. And then just uh, I had already been following some of the Australian supercars things because it is something similar to what we do with the next-gen car. So over the last few years, as we developed the next-gen car, uh, working with NASCAR, I was paying attention to those series as well already. And with our Chevrolet ties, it used to be the Holden Commodore that was there, but now it's actually the Chevy Camaro uh, ZL1 that they race there as well. So all of those things kind of put the tie in to what we're learning here and how this car is different. The single lug wheels, all the components are slightly different, so it's not exactly the same, but the process is very similar. So always watched it from afar and knew what the performance was, knew what SVG's potential was for sure. I mean, Shane is amazing. When you sit back and look at his stat column, it's kind of hard to say that you didn't think he was going to be a contender. It's, it's probably because you weren't paying attention yeah. to see what that stat column looked like uh, when he got to Chicago. So that was exciting. Uh, and then of course, having the rain thrown on top of it and everything else through the weekend that, that mm -hmm. made everything even that much more fun just because you had to deal with every circumstance possible. But like you said, being a contender is one thing. Winning the race is another thing. Being as perfect as he was and you were and the entire race team through the rain, the pit stops, the restarts, everything that goes into winning at the highest level and doing so on a track like that, that, like we mentioned, is unprecedented. When you take the white flag and you know, knowing you as I do, you're a pretty calm, mild-mannered guy. What are you thinking when he takes the white? And you know, if he just does what he's done his whole life, we're going to win this thing. It, at, at that point, it's more relief. Uh, after we did the last pit stop, honestly, and we set him out there, it was kind of pure disappointment. Like, all right, we're going to come out 18th. We kind of got messed up with this whole sequence. You knew. You're like, it's done. Down. It's done. We knew it was coming, but then lap one, he was in 16th. Lap two after that, he was in 14th. Yeah. He picked off two guys on each of those two laps, and they were very calculated, clean passes and breaking zones. That's when you start getting that smile on your face, and the hair starts standing up You're on like, your oh, neck. He's doing it you know there is potential. So after that, it was actually just watching the show. And then when you get down to that last lap, it's like, all right, now what can go wrong? Is caution going to come out? What's going to happen? And he made the pass for the lead, and then the caution comes out. We had to give it back. We had to go out and do it again. But at that point, your confidence level is pretty high. Yeah. And then it's just, all right, don't get wrecked. Try to get back here. 
and, and pull this off. And it, it was just surreal, honestly, with the way the chaos of that day was. Our pit box and stuff wasn't set up the way we wanted it because we were in that deluge of rain. We had 13 minutes from the time they called drivers to cars to get everything up. We had God. computer monitors that were wet. We had one laptop that had fried in the, in the water, all those things. So that about mid-race is when things started really settling down where we were actually getting in the groove of real race track craft on the track. But then that's when we started looking at, all right, the sun's going to go down. We're not going to make the end of this race. How are we going to start playing this game? So we're messaging with NASCAR. We're talking back and forth amongst our teammates and trying to make that guess. So you're never sitting there with a dead time to think about what's going on in front of you. Yeah, we're running top five. Everything's good. But you're always busy at the task at hand. So you don't get to pay attention to the cool part until it comes out of that last lap. Then you start looking around the pits and you start seeing this guy's never won a race. This guy, like this guy's in tears over here because he knows what's about to happen. That's just amazing uh, feeling to be able to be a part of that. Just chaos, and you guys weathered the storm, pun intended, and you got it done. So that was your 24th Cup Series win. I know that some have met more than others. Can you give me an answer on where Chicago stacks up in that 24? I had to think about it for a while. I got asked this question one other time, and it definitely is in top five because it's something that's so new. First time with SVG and Shane coming over and doing an amazing job overall. The, the, the compressed training process we went through with getting a seat in the car, doing a test at the Roval, getting to the racetrack, dealing with adversity there, and then still being able to pull that win off. That, that was a, just an amazing culmination of a lot of hard work uh, from the men and women here at Trackhouse. But then it goes back, I'm comparing it to a Daytona 500 with Jimmy Johnson. Uh, the Coke 600, and some of those other events, too. It's really hard. The championship race with Stewart at Homestead. I've got a pretty good list to be able to rank it against, and it's still up there in in that list. But, man, it's uh, I hope to have a few more of those Keystone moments long term. I was going to say, you, you have almost, I guess, the, the majors, almost all the majors, but you got the 2007 600 with Casey, his first and only win. Southern 500, you got the all-star race, you got the 500, your first ever win as a crew chief, you got the championship, you got Chicago. Only thing I can think of is the Brickyard 400, which we'll see, but it sounds like you might get a chance next year if all things go according to plan, maybe as a crew chief, maybe as director of performance, we'll see. But it seems like you have a knack for winning the big ones, Darian. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, I've been very fortunate through my career. I don't have many wins at a lot of tracks. I've got single or double wins at almost every track. So that that part is probably kind of a confidence builder. And it makes it, to my, you know, you can spread your talent around and be very fortunate situations with different drivers in all those situations as well. Bristol Night Race and all those yeah. included. And it's, it's nice to have that, that trophy list on the wall there. And it's just, it's one of those things like I, I have been a part of the Brickyard 400 at least uh, as an engineer and crew member there too. So hopefully it's one of those things we can continue. We can keep chalking things off the list. You're a big shot, man. You go for the big ones and you get her done. Um, as we're on Project 91, I want to ask you about Kimi Raikkonen. Working with the Iceman, I've heard from people in the F1 world and obviously NASCAR could be a bit of a difficulty at some points because Kimi is Kimi, but it seems like he is a racer through and through and he really went into this NASCAR venture the second time around, I guess, full bore and just ate it up totally. What was your experience like working with Kimmy? It, it was exactly that. I mean, Kimmy was amazing. I, I'm disappointed we didn't get the finishes with him that we deserved. Uh, at Watkins Glen with him the first time, it's when he, he broke his hand actually in a crash in the bus stop. So many people didn't know that, but it's like he broke his hand in that crash and he 
flew back home and had it worked on and stuff after he got home. So he, he's obviously a tough competitor. And then going out there at Coda, we, we kind of struggled through the weekend. We didn't have the car where he needed it, and it took us all race to dial it in. But then we were able to play some alternate strategy and put him up there in the top five for the last restarts. And, and that was even painful, too. He got just knocked around and, and got punted out of there and actually wrecked under caution even after that to where the car was destroyed. We ended up with a flat tire coming across the start-finish line. So those are the type of things that's like it's very frustrating, but knowing he had that potential and the speed in the car – that he is a talent. He is amazing as a, a world-renowned competitor. And being able to go out there and work with him, honestly, is just an honor. And, and I wish we could have had the performance with him, with him that we did with Shane as well, just that way we can show that talent off. Kimmy, SVG, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart, Denny Hamlin, Carl Edwards, Casey Kane, Willie B. The, the list goes on and on and on. These are drivers that have been so accomplished in so many different forms of motorsports, but – champions race winners right is there a commonality between any or all of those drivers that you've worked with darian that you can see that makes them that good and that different in, in most cases i'll just say hard work it, it all is a testament to the work that they put in uh, anybody can come in and kind of be here but to be successful it comes with work and time and effort it, it's about who you surround yourself with and the work you put in uh, most of these guys, they do the study. They're they're there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, digging into their own notebook that they personally wrote after the last race. Items like that, that's where it truly makes a difference of how they can come prepare back to the track the next weekend. That's how you can get better. That's how they help you elevate your team, how they help coach your crew members, how you bring people along and help them grow. You can take somebody that's extremely green and turn them into the best mechanic in the garage as long as you work at it. So that. That's what almost every one of those drivers had in some form is the work ethic. And that that's what it takes to be successful for sure. I understand this is like picking a favorite child. I know you have two blood children, but you have a lot of children that have been drivers in the past. Is it possible to pick one of your favorites over the years? I know it's tough, but there's a murderer's row right there as well. And I'm curious if one stands out. Yeah, it, it, that's that's too tough. That is like picking your your favorite <laughs> child and your second favorite I child. It just doesn't happen. They're, they're both your favorites. And that every driver had his unique circumstances to where they excelled at some area. So if I could take and put the best character traits of all those together, we, we'd be we'd never be beaten, I don't think, in any case. Yeah, you think that run with Jimmy was, was bad to watch for a fan. Well, if you put all the best attributes of those guys, that'll be – Something to see. So I mentioned all those teams, Hendrick, Stuart Haas, Gibbs, Ganassi, Trackhouse, everyone that I missed in between. Um, what have you learned from all of those different race teams and shops that have made you into the director of performance, crew chief, and veteran of the industry that you are today? It, it's people. It, it's all people skills. Uh, one of the big things I've learned from, from Mr. Hendrick, even originally, was servant leadership. Actually, you're you're serving to lead your people. You, you do what they need you to do to make them better. So putting the right people in the right places, pushing them to get better, pushing a lot of people beyond their comfort zone so you can see how they react and how they develop, that helps you put the great team together. You, you can take a, a band of misfits and you can find the positive from each person, and I guarantee you, you can make a strong team out of it if you work hard enough at it. So it's about trying to find their strengths, trying to make them go out there and flourish and what they can develop. And, and sometimes it may not be in a position on your race team. It may be another position in the shop or 
the, the mechanic that is really having a bad day for whatever's going on down here, he can't lose focus on what you're doing as a race team. That 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 person is still touching that race car that's going to go compete on Sunday. So they have to be at the best of their ability during the time that they're working for you for their job. So that's the part that in every organization you have to be successful. It takes people to do that. There, there is no one group or one person that can take and steer one of these places and, and it's leadership. And it's the the voice from above when Justin Marks comes in and says, I want to do this with project 91, you listen. And this is the way I want the culture of the track house racing shop to be. You have to be excited about that. And you have to join into the culture and, and actually make it happen. I know I got a couple minutes left with you, so I'm going to kind of jump around here because you're a very interesting man. There's a lot of ground to cover. I want to go back several years. God, looking at it now, it's almost 15 years, which makes us old. But 2011, that year was so strange and so iconic for so many reasons, right? You correct me if I'm wrong, but you're basically told you're fired at the end of the year. And what do you do? You go out and win five of the last 10 races in the championship. I mean, that's just such a strange dichotomy, and it ends with being at the top of the mountain. I'm curious, looking back on that year, that time, that 10-race stretch, what was that like for you? That was a, a really enlightening experience for me, honestly. We, we won the first two races of the playoffs at Chicago and Loudoun, and then we had two bad weeks, and then it was the sixth week before the end of the season is when I was told that I wasn't going to be back this following season. So it was a tough thing to hear and figure out what was going on. So then it was five weeks to go is when I was asking, okay, what is my job? Am I going to have a job? Or, and then I knew I was actually out of the company completely. So those last five weeks, I knew I, I was going to be looking for what was next, but it was still about the team rallying around me and us working together to try to come up with a common goal. We, we knew we could be there in the championship hunt and everybody just dug in around us. And the, the whole 14 team at that time just really became even closer. I, I'm still really great friends with the majority of the people that were on that team, the pit crew and everybody around us. And it's just like, we had fun. We went out and we killed it. We, we were great in practice. We were great in qualifying and I think every week and pull off those other wins. I mean, it, it was emotional. It was tough, but I'd already made a commitment to myself and my family that I'm not going to give up on this and just walk away we're too close now. So let's go out here and just keep fighting to the end. There was one segment there where we, we won Texas. We left Texas with my family. We actually did a road trip from that. I didn't go back to the shop that week because the, the cars were already basically done. So I was doing everything from the phone on the road and did a trip through uh, Texas and Oklahoma, Arizona, back down to Phoenix for the Phoenix race. And we had a big cookout uh, there for all the crew when they got there on Friday. So those are, those are the times that it was actually emotional for me because I'm surrounded by my teammates and friends and uh, went out there and had a great finish there and then went to Homestead and pulled off the, the miraculous race there through all the trials and tribulations of crashing the car and the rain and multiple stops and everything else too. And it's just, it couldn't get much better going through that entire sequence. That every aspect of that was a learning experience for me, how to deal with the adversity, how to basically rally around your group and your friends and make that the, the team you want to compete with. And then after that, it becomes a blood sport. You're just going out there to kill yeah. and win. I have to, it's, it's just such a strange coincidence for me to look at from the outside, right? Because again, you're told that you're gone and then you win the championship in a season that Tony said it himself before the playoffs. You guys didn't deserve to be there. I, I think I know the answer, but I have to ask anyway, knowing you and your personality, 
when you do win the championship, is there just a little part of you, just a little bit, that's like, yeah, stick it now, huh? Like, you just did that to them, right? And even though you're a professional, you're moving on, they're moving on, whatever, there had to be some sort of pride in yourself for being able to show them, like, look, I can do this, and we did do it. Yeah, I mean, there is some aspect of pride there where you really feel like you've accomplished something. But for me, immediately when the checkered flag flew, it's like, all right, now what's next? I remember going to the media center and sitting there thinking, it's like, all right, now I'd already put off multiple people who had heard something was brewing that wanted to talk to me about crew chief in the next year. And I said, I'm not talking to anyone until the race is done at Homestead. I've got a job to do. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, all right, who do I need to talk to on Monday? Who do I need to talk to on Tuesday? How, how is this championship banquet going to go? Are we going to stay for a party or whatever? And it, it was kind of surreal at that moment. It was more sinking in of, yeah. I've got to figure out what the next chapter is. I'm going to carry the trophy home with me as we do it, though. Did you get to enjoy it at least? A little bit. I mean, it, it wasn't as enjoyable as it would have been if I mm-hmm. had been able to stick there. So that, that, that's the only part that I did miss, I feel like long-term was being able to actually celebrate with all the people there earning that championship. At least you got to enjoy it a little bit. That's what's important. Um, I know I got a couple minutes left with you, so I want to circle back to SVG. He's obviously been rumored to be coming back here in a full-time capacity next year, whether it's Cup, Xfinity, Truck, a mix of all three. I don't expect you to break any news here or tell us what the deal is, but if and when he does come back here, have conversations with you personally started to potentially help lead the brigade in terms of being his crew chief again for more than just a couple races a year? Yeah, honestly, I'm not sure that there's a lot of things in flux there. They're doing a lot of conversations, obviously, and that's Justin Marks and Ty Norris are taking care of all that. And I'm here for track house racing. If Justin asked me to, to fill in or do a few races or even just to lead the program with other people running it, I'm willing to do whatever. Uh, I don't think the entire program is even set yet of what they're planning to do. So uh, I'm willing to adapt. Uh, that's what we do. And if he comes in and says, we're going to start a third team tomorrow and SVG is going to be on the side and a fourth team's coming in six weeks, and we'll just figure out how to deal with <laughs> it's it. It's a lot of money, Darian. But, yeah. yeah th- those are the type of things. It's like, we just, we just, we're going to do the work and no matter what it takes. And obviously Shane's an amazing talent. It was really cool to be able to work with him, even on just the side of him coming in and doing that truck race at IRP, you know, helping him do some simulator work and things with that. And that was fun, honestly. So those are things I'm more than willing to help out with. We have sure. a lot of great people here who can jump into those programs and whatever they get set up, uh, even if he's going to a competitive team or whatever, too, we don't know. I have a good relationship now. We still message back and forth. So hopefully I can help out in some situation. You mentioned your kids are, are growing up and they, they are grown up, but they're continuing to, and you want to be there for them, and you have been the past several years. Is crew chiefing full-time something that you do want to do again, or is that ship sailed, you think? It, it kind of goes back and forth. It all just depends on the situation. Uh, there's times as a crew chief, I probably can have more time off because you're focused only on one group, and that's what you get. Sure. So there's some of those aspects of if it comes up in the right situations there, maybe I would want to again because then I could have a Monday or a Thursday off or whatever to spend more time with the kids. But there's other times, too, where it, both are going to be a seven-day-a-week job in, in some fashion. So do a really good job uh, working with them and trying to go around their school schedules and spend as much time as we can together, especially nights and weekends when I can. So it's it's all about just adaptation and uh, making the kids happy as we go through all that. I wish we had more time because I wanted to get to more Virginia Tech Hokie talk, but I'll end with a question here. Uh, my girlfriend, she went to Tech. I have never been to a game. I'm going to my first game this year. I've been to campus, I've been to the stadium, but I've never been to a game. 
What should I expect at Lane Stadium? Where should I eat? What should I do? Give me the 411 on Blacksburg. Man, and I'm actually disappointed in myself because I've been racing so much. I haven't been to many games in recent years. And actually, even when I was in college, I was still going through doing the racing thing on Friday and Saturday night. So I didn't spend a lot of time at the stadium. I, I grew up going there to games. I love going there. Uh, the atmosphere is just amazing. Be sure you are there early and in your seats for when Inter Sandman comes on. I will be there. On. No worries. That place is <laughs> electric. Uh, the tailgates are epic. Uh, and just going around all over campus, like you said, it's, it's a beautiful place. You need to spend time there and get the whole atmosphere. Uh, there, there's a few of my favorite restaurants that were around there. They're no longer there because I'm so old. Uh, but there, there's still some of the, the top of the stairs and some of the other places that are the cool hangouts yep. that you have to make sure you know when you're in town. I have been to Tots before, and I did get a rail. I don't know if they had rail drinks when you were there, but I did get one. <laughs> they did. They had them there. <laughs> and that's a tradition. It's something that everybody has to do at some point. That is a word for it, for sure. Uh, all right, man. Well, I will let you go. I know you're busy. Uh, good luck in the playoffs coming up here, and I so appreciate your time, man. I will be sure to text you some pictures when I'm out at Lane Stadium this fall. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to it. And we are back. Man, what a guy. What a story. What a background. So many fields that we sprayed again right there, but I'm so appreciative of Darian's time, and thank you so much to Drew Brown as well of Trackhouse Racing for helping coordinate that conversation. Been wanting to get it on the books for a while. Darian's been on my radar, not just since Project 91 came into creation, but for years and years, obviously, knowing his extensive background in the sport. So, Darian, thank you, sir. Best of luck as we head into the playoffs with Ross Chastain. And, Drew, thank you again for helping coordinate that conversation. Hope to have Darian back on the show, and I will definitely let him know how I find my first experience at Lane Stadium later this fall. The playoffs are set, party people. The 16 drivers that will be vying for the Bill France Cup in the NASCAR Cup Series this season, they are set, ready to rip, rock, and roll. So at Daytona, we had a repeat winner, and that being Chris Busher, meaning that Bubba Wallace, as long as he was able to just stay clean and green, which, spoiler alert, he did, would be the last driver in the playoffs, and that is exactly what happened. So Bubba Wallace makes his first career Cup Series playoff appearance. 23-11 Racing gets all of their drivers in, uh, joining Tyler Reddick, obviously. Kevin Harvick, he has made his way in, the lone driver from Stuart Haas Racing. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. from JTG Doherty. Michael McDowell from Front Row Motorsports. You got Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano from Team Penske, the aforementioned Tyler Reddick at 23-11. Brad Keselowski is in, who pushed his teammate and employee, Chris Busher to victory lane for the third time this season at Daytona this past weekend. The two RFK cars are in. Ross Chastain has made his way in. Again, we just talked to Darren Grubb about it, and that interview was obviously recorded before this Daytona regular season finale took place. So only one track house car in the postseason. Three Gibbs cars, that being Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. One RCR car, that being Kyle Busch and two Hendrick Motorsports cars of William Byron and, of course, Kyle Larson. No Chase Elliott, no Ty Gibbs, no Daniel Suarez. Those are the 16 drivers that will be vying for the Cup Series Championship. I'm excited to see how it all plays out. And before we get too far ahead of our skis, I say we, I mean me. I got a little, uh, I jumped the start there, so send me to the back for a restart violation. Let's just talk about Daytona real briefly. Uh, the race itself was pretty awesome. 
I would borderline say epic. I mean, that was one of the instant classic Daytona International Speedway, Super Speedway races, right, that you'll remember for years and years to come. You'll remember that Chris Buescher won, but I think that this race will probably be remembered for the big wrecks. And I say wrecks because there were two of them. Obviously, the Ryan Blaney, huge front-end impact on the safer barrier in turns three and four. He was able to walk away from basically completely unscathed. And I don't need to tell you guys if you're listening to this, but that crash was eerily similar to a crash that we saw happen in February of 2001. And the man that was involved in that crash, Dale Earnhardt, unfortunately did not walk away, and we lost him that day. I mean, if you overlay those two, it was a carbon copy, man. So thankful that Ryan was able to walk away, as well as Ty Gibbs. And the other Ryan, Ryan Priest, holy bejesus, party people. I mean, that is got to be one of the gnarliest, if not the worst, horrifying, horrific crash that I have ever seen in my time in the sport. I know that, you know, you go back in the day, you think of the Davey Allison crashes, Steve Park at Pocono, Bobby Allison, Daryl Waltrip. Like, obviously, yes, there have been tons and tons of crazy-looking, gnarly crashes. But that one was up there, man. I mean, and speaking of up there, Ryan Priest got some air, baby. Oh, my God. He, he must have gone 30, 40 feet in the air. It felt like. I don't know if that's being hyperbolic, but, I mean, that was insane obviously you know gets clipped on the back stretch starts getting airborne the grass as the drivers have you know analyzed basically helped them dig in and he did some barrel rolls pirouetted up in the air landed on his two wheels fire kind of extinguished itself he was able to get out of the car with some assistance from the amr safety crew stayed a night in the hospital just for precautionary reasons and for evaluation but as of this recording, all signs point to Ryan being in the 41 car for Darlington Raceway, running all 500 miles and not having a nick, scratch, or scab on him. And that, my friends, should be commended because if he was driving this car last year and that wreck happened, I frankly fear what would have happened to him. The same goes for Ryan Blaney. Same goes for Ty Gibbs. Same goes for anybody that has crashed this next-gen car in the last couple years. Um, and speaking of which, you know, somebody who had their career basically ended by one of those crashes is Kurt Busch, who announced his formal retirement over the weekend. And I think it may be a little bit poetic, although you may have to connect the dots, that in the same weekend that Kurt announces his retirement from full-time racing due to a concussion that he sustained and the lingering effects of it from the next-gen car, we see two harrowing crashes in this same car but the safety enhancements and updates that they've made to the front and the rear clip, the carbon fiber inside the bodies, the different bars that they've put inside the cockpits, and of course the safer barriers, specifically with the 12s wreck, they all did their job. And I think NASCAR needs to be commended for doing their job as well, for going to school, doing the work, spending the money, researching, and making this car safer. And as they always say, safety is not a destination, it is a journey. And that journey will not end. They still have much room for improvement, and I think they would be the, among the first to tell you that. But the fact that Ryan Priest and Ryan Blaney both were able to walk away basically unscathed after two crazy-looking wrecks, that should be commended. And that's what I'm doing right here. All right, real quick, before we talk about Darlington, I'll give you my championship four picks. Uh, not really crazy out of the box. I'm going two Hendrick and two Gibbs. 
Uh, you can put together who the two Hendrick guys are, considering they're the only two Hendrick guys in the playoffs. William Byron, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, and Martin Truex Jr. They are my championship four picks. And I am going to say that Martin Truex Jr. will be the one hoisting the hardware in Phoenix later this fall. Something about it just screams MTJ to me. He's been really good at Phoenix in the past, and I think he's kind of on the Joey Logano, Todd Gordon plan of 2017, I guess it was, right? Where they missed the playoffs the year before due to that encumbered win at Richmond. They come back the next year, and that was the big three and me year, and it was the guy who was me, Joey Logano, who won it. So I think Truex is kind of on a similar plan, missing the postseason one year, coming back the next with a vengeance, and winning the damn thing. And I know, I, I know he's signed for next year, but what if? Just what if he decides to do a mic drop and walk away? That would be the mic drop to end all mic drops. I will tell you that much. But MTJ is my pick to win the 2023 Cup Series Championship. And that all starts this weekend at Darlington Raceway. We know MTJ has had a lot of success at this racetrack in the past. So is Kyle Larson. He obviously is looking to get his first Southern 500 victory, one of the crown jewel races that he has not yet won in his motorsports career. A lot of drivers, teams, crew chiefs, they've all said it. In the first round and maybe even the first two rounds, if you just don't beat yourself, you'll probably be fine. Because there's going to be stuff, whether it's out of the driver's hands, pit crew mistakes, whatever it is, there's going to be stuff that happens. You remember last year, Kevin Harvick caught on fire. Uh, pit crew, they make mistakes. Sometimes you just unload pretty bad off the truck. Sometimes the driver makes errors, right? Like, these things happen. So... If you're able to just stay out of your own way, basically, gain a couple stage points, finish inside the top 10 for one, two weeks in a row, you'll be in a real good spot heading into the cutoff at Bristol. And the same can be said for the next round at the Roval. But we will see how it gets started this weekend out in Darlington. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, I will not be able to watch it because I will be traveling, which I will get to here in one minute. But you can watch all the action on the NBC family of networks. The Cup Series is in action, as is the Xfinity Series this weekend. Sport Clips, Haircuts, VFW, Help a Hero 200. You can watch that at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday on USA. And, of course, the Cookout Southern 500, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on USA Network, Sunday, September 3rd. And that'll wrap things up for episode 199 of Victory Lane 2.0, party people. Again, thank you guys for staying with me through 199 weeks and 199 episodes. I am so, 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 so excited for what we got in the can next week for episode 200. I will not give it away yet, but I will just say that you better bring your wallet. We'll see if you can connect the dots there. Now, programming update. Uh, unfortunate timing, actually, but we've had this trip planned forever. Uh, we are going to be out of the country next week for about a week or so, going to Italy for a wedding, stopping in Iceland on the way home, which means I will not be able to watch Darlington. I'll be off work the entire week, and I will not be in the United States of America. Fear not. The podcast, episode 200, will be recorded, edited, posted, and the guest will be one that you definitely want to hear from. So even though I will not be here, I will still be able to post the episode and I will be able to post some content throughout next week leading into the second race of the playoffs at Kansas as well. So just a programming update in case you're like, wait, he's not here for episode 200. 
I'm here. I'm just not here in the U.S., if that makes sense. So appreciate you guys sticking with me there. And again, appreciate you guys sticking with me throughout all the trials, tribulations, ups, downs, weird schedules, great guests, mediocre guests, uh, long way back segments from Papa Siegel, short way back segments from Papa Siegel, voice cracks from myself, blibbering and blabbering like I'm doing right now. I just love y'all. So I appreciate you sticking with me. And if you like what you heard today or any single week on the pod, you can do me a favor. It really helps me out if you leave a rating and a review. You can do that on Apple, Google, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts, including that green app. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. Thanks for tuning in this week and every week again. I cannot wait for you guys to hear episode 200 of this measly little pod. We've made it, party people. Almost, that is. Enjoy Darlington. Enjoy the playoffs. And we will catch you on the flip side.